This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Again, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself into the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Bruce? Hey, you know what I'm reminded of is that God's mercies are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. Can we say that together? Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Now, can we say it one more time? Great is his faithfulness. I hope that you'll remember that throughout the rest of the day and the week, that the Scripture says that even when we are, what, faithless, God is faithful. You know, Lori, through the years, uh, has demonstrated the ability to look at things that are in disrepair, things that the average person would overlook, And she sees potential in them. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, 32 years of of marriage, I'm never quite sure what Lori's going to bring home. Um, She just finds things that she wants to to repair, uh, that she thinks that could be made not only good as new, but but better than new. And I I thank God for that because uh, she saw me. And uh, uh, she was able to, to do quite a work, huh? That's right. Well, I remember one day she spied uh, in her parents' garage an old rocking chair. And I mean, this thing was old. Uh, The wood, the color had turned gray. Uh, The finish had been rubbed off. Uh, The cushion and the seat, I mean, it, it, it barely had fabric on it. Just a bunch of springs held together with some cloth. I mean, this chair was in bad, bad shape. And she asked her dad for it. In fact, it was her great-uncle Joe's, her dad's uncle. And uh, the family had 
held on to it for many, many years, probably going back, what, to the 20s, 1920s. And there it sat in the garage, and Lori wanted it. Now, you can only imagine the conversation we had, right? Really? Really? This chair is good for nothing. I mean, it maybe could break it up and use it for firewood in your parents' fireplace. I mean, I, I don't want this chair. What, what are you going to do with it? And, but she took it, and uh, as we moved, that chair always moved along with us. And every time we were getting ready to move, I was tempted to, well, when Lori wasn't there, just toss the chair. But I knew I couldn't. And so we kept moving that chair along until finally we moved to Sacramento. And uh, yeah, Sacramento. That's right, hometown of the Haggies. Uh, do you know that when they were in high school, they were dating. This is a, a rabbit trail, a hedgehog trail. They were, they were dating. Uh, and uh, they went to Hume Lake Christian Camp, to the high school camp, as campers. And we figured it out the very same week that you were at high school camp as campers, I was a youth pastor at Hume Lake at the junior high camp. Is that amazing? And our paths probably crossed and we didn't even know it. That's amazing, isn't it? And here we are in Eagle River, Alaska. Okay, let me get back to my story. So, we moved to Sacramento and uh, Lori meets a lady who loves to refinish furniture. And so Lori takes this chair to the lady, and the lady confirms what Lori already knew. This chair is solid oak. It is a wonderful chair. Where did you find this chair? And she's so excited about it because like Lori, she not only saw the potential, she knew wood. And she said, oh, with a little bit of love, this chair can become a beautiful, valuable family heirloom that you'll have the rest of your life and that you can pass on in your family. And sure enough, they went to work on that chair. And one day, Lori brought that chair home, and I kid you not, it's like it couldn't be the same chair. It was amazing. In fact, that chair sits in our living room to this day. And uh, every time I sit in that chair, I am reminded that things are not always as they appear. Okay? And really, that's the theme of our chapter 9 in our book study of the Divine Mentor. It's called Oak All the Way to the Core. Let me read to you from Wayne Cordero's book, the very first couple paragraphs. He says, We live in a veneer world, one in which image is often valued more than reality, reputation more than character, and perception more than actuality. Veneer looks enough like the real thing, and it costs less. But the image facade lasts only until the next latest style rolls off the assembly line. Image, again and again and again, demands that we forget the old and crave the new. Nevertheless, 
when it comes to the substance life is made of, veneer is not enough. Success without regret, as well as healthy families and fruitful churches, require credibility and veracity or truth. For God's presence to be in attendance, it has to be genuine all the way to the core. And I am so grateful that Lori was able to see uh, that that chair was genuine all the way to the core. It was solid, or it is solid oak. All it needed was a little touch-up. And really, its true qualities came out. In his book, Wayne Cordero goes on to say that uh, he bought a roll-top desk. And he bought it because he thought it would be special. He could enjoy it, but then he could pass it on to his family only to find out that it was made of oak veneer. But beneath the veneer was pressed particle board. And he talked about how disappointing that was. How he looked at the outside, he was impressed by how it appeared, but he really had no idea when he purchased it that it wasn't oak, that was only particle board. This morning, the Lord wants you to know that He's concerned about more than the veneer of your life. It's like the hedgehog illustration. He looks at you and He sees the outside. And you know, in our culture and in our time, we spend so much time, we invest so much on what? Appearance. On what's on the outside. And yet the Lord, His concern is what's on the inside. Uh, The Lord wants each of us in His Spirit to be men and women that are solid in our faith. Men and women that, spiritually speaking, are more than appearance, but that we are spiritually oak to the core. And the Lord wants to take you wherever you are today, however scuffed or marred, however unattractive you may be, and He wants to apply His Holy Spirit to your life. And as He does that, He wants to bring out the life from the inside out. That He wants all of those who follow Jesus to reflect and to have. Now there may be some that feel like that old rocking chair. Like you're in somebody's garage and you wonder if you're going to be useful or valued by anyone. Well, the Lord looks at you and He sees your value. Or, there's some here that may be like the roll-top desk that Wayne Cordell talks about. You have a real pretty veneer, but you know on the inside, you need some work. The good news is the Lord wants to do that. So wherever you are today, the Lord, the master craftsman, the one who is an expert in refinishing lives and bringing out quality and character in people, He wants to get a hold of each of us this morning. That's the good news, isn't it? And so let's go to His Word and let's see if we can't be encouraged by what He has to say to us. 
So if you open your Bibles up to 2 Kings chapter 5, our passage this morning are verses 9 through 14. But I just want to kind of give you an overview of the whole chapter because we really have to understand that if we're going to understand the significance of the chapter. So in first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, it begins with a story of a man named Naaman. Now Naaman, it says, was the commander of an army of a great king, the king of Aram. Now, Aram is located in what we understand today as modern-day Syria. Uh, and this was a time in which Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, the capital, Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And Nahum was the commander of the army of uh, Ben-Hadad. And he was a great man, the Scripture says. He was, in the sight of his master, highly regarded. He was a person of great stature. He was the commander of the army. He was highly regarded because through him, it says the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, isn't that interesting? Here is 2 Kings chapter 5 saying that through him, the commander of an opposing army that that went against Israel, the Lord, the author of Second Kings says, the Lord had given him victory. And you know why that is? Because in the Hebrew understanding of God, if a conquering army defeated them, it was only because the Lord allowed it. They believed in the sovereignty of God as it related to their nation and to their relationship with God, and to the affairs of their lives. And so they saw Naaman as an instrument of God to fulfill God's purpose. And even in defeat, they recognized that defeat somehow worked for the good of the people, and they saw God behind the victory of their enemy. Isn't that interesting? Well, not only was he highly regarded because the Lord had given him victory, but it says he was a valiant soldier. He was a man of great courage, a man of great stature, a, a, a man of great renown. He was a great man, but, but here's the issue. This great man had a great problem. It was a problem that was greater than his capability to overcome that problem. The Scripture says that he had the disease of leprosy. Now, during this time, uh, these armies would come across the border from Syria uh, into Israel, and they would do raids along the border. And it was not uh, uncommon for them to take captives and bring them back. And in this case, there was uh, a Jewish girl who had been captured, and she was actually the servant of Naaman's wife. Now in chapter, excuse me, verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, because she heard about Naaman's leprosy, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
And she's speaking of the prophet Elijah. Elijah, as you know, followed Elijah. He was a prophet for more than 50 years. Now, Elijah, his predecessor, he confronted and exposed the evil of idolatry. Uh, Elijah, his ministry as a prophet was about confrontation. Elijah, however, really was about helping people to see the compassionate care of God. In fact, the Bible talks about 18 different instances where the Lord works through Elijah to demonstrate compassionate care. And so this young captive girl from Israel, she hears about Nahum's leprosy. And she tells Nahum's wife, if only he would go see the prophet Elijah in Samaria, he would be cured of his leprosy. So verse 4 of chapter 5 says, Nahum went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10,000 talents of silver. That's 750 pounds, by the way. Okay? And 6,000 shekels of gold. That's uh, 150 pounds. With this letter, and with a letter, the letter wrote, uh, read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Nahum to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. And so what happens? The king of Israel, he reads the letter and he tears his robes and he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Here's what the king thought. This was a time of relative peace. as There weren't hostilities at this moment between the two countries. And he's thinking that the king is sending Naaman to Israel to be healed and using that as provocation because if Naaman's not healed, then the king is going to wage war against the king of Israel. And so he's in despair. He's upset. He begins to literally tear his garments as a sign of distress. And isn't it ironic that here is this pagan king sending his army commander to Israel to be healed by the prophet in Israel. And here is the king of Israel And rather than looking to his God, and rather than saying, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do in this situation? I'm not capable, God, of, of what this man needs, but you are. What's he do? He's in despair. He's in distress. And so the irony here is, is the king from a foreign land and his army commander have more faith in what the God of Israel can do than the king of Israel. Well, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes, says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Verse 8, 
When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent him a message. Why, king, have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. So that's our reading where we began this morning. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to stay up to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, you would think if you were Naaman, that would be good news, right? But what does Naaman do? What is his response? Verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. You know, he's put off. He is the commander of the great army from the north. And he's come with his horses and his chariots with pomp and circumstance. And his expectation is that the prophet Elijah himself is going to come to the door and is going to instantly heal him. He's going to wave his hand over him. And in the name of the Lord is God, Elijah's God, heal him of his leprosy. But that's not, that's not what God had in store. Because God was concerned about more than his leprosy. God is concerned about his heart. He comes to the Lord. He wants instant results. But the Lord wants to do something to change him from the inside out. And really, that's the first point that we see from this passage. That God transforms us from the inside out. Look at 1 Samuel 6-7. Samuel, there you go. Do you remember when Samuel went to Jesse and Jesse paraded his sons by him and, and none of them, none of them were God's choice to be the king. But there was one, his name was David. He was a shepherd boy. He was out in the field. He had been overlooked. And ultimately, David was the one that God selected. But, but look at what Jesse says, excuse me, what Samuel said to Jesse. He said, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. That's good news if you're a hedgehog. And that's good news for you and for me. And so the Lord is looking at Naaman's heart. And the Lord knows that he needs more than a, a physical healing. He needs transformation in his heart. And that transformation is going to take place from the inside out. But Naaman is a man of great pride. Naaman is put off. Naaman has an expectation that he's going to get special treatment. And he thinks that God or the prophet is going to work in the way that he has presupposed that the prophet and God's going to work. It's kind of like Burger King. Right? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. And sometimes we go to the Lord and we think He's Burger King. That He's going to let us have it His way, or our way, not His way. And so, 
when Naaman doesn't get his way, he gets angry. And this is what he says. He says, wait a minute. There are two beautiful, pure, clean rivers in Syria. Rivers in Damascus that are better than all the waters of Israel. These waters are, are pure and renowned for their purity. Why in the world would I come all the way down here to dip myself seven times in the muddy, filthy Jordan River? That doesn't make sense to me. Right? Well, you know what? God's ways are not our ways. He says, couldn't I be cleansed there instead? So he turned and he left in rage. So now he had a servant. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleaned? So what does Naaman have to do? He has to humble himself, doesn't he? Number one, he has to recognize, and we need to recognize, that God wants to change us from the inside out. But in order for that to happen, we have to humble ourselves. And humility prepares our hearts to receive God's help. Humility prepares our hearts to receive God's help. That's the next slide on there. Go beyond that. There you go. Humility prepares our hearts to receive God's help. Now, I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 6. This is a great passage. It really speaks to this. There you go. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. And that's exactly what's happening here in Naaman's life. He's having to humble himself. Humble himself. And so he hears the words of his servant. And in verse 14 it says, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God, Elisha, had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Clean like that of a young boy. Seven times he dips himself. And each time, I know what he's thinking. I have to dip myself again in this filth of this Jordan River? What, what, what is this? And each time he dips himself, he's dying to himself. Each time there's greater and greater humility. Each time he comes up with the expectation he'd be healed, and yet he's not. So he dips himself again. Right? But in the end, what happens? The Lord heals him of his leprosy. And in that humility... And in that healing, we see a change in his life. He becomes a man who is worshipful. He becomes a man who, who understands that the, the Lord of Israel is the only true God. And 
You know, God wants to, to do the work in our lives. And sometimes that work takes longer than, than you or I expect. And, and sometimes we can get angry. Sometimes we can get frustrated. Sometimes we say, no, Lord, again? Do I have to do this again? Lord, how much longer must I do this before I receive what it is I've come to you seeking? Can you relate to that? We're all like naming in that way, I think. And yet, the more and more we come to Him, the more and more we humble ourselves, the more and more we're really ready and able to receive what God has for us. Not only externally, but internally. In fact, the more we look to God, Wayne Cordero says, the more we look like Him. The more we look to God, the more we look like Him. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love uh, Proverbs 25, 4 through 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God and my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. The more we look to God, the more we seek after Him, the more He is able to transform us and the more godly character is developed from the inside out. The more we become Christians who are solid like oak. Well, ultimately, Naaman is healed. And what does he do? He goes back to the prophet, and it says here in verse 15, he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And he, he offered those gifts to the prophet. Remember the gold and, and the silver? But the prophet says, No, no, I'm not going to receive those. And in it, he was really saying, You can't buy God's favor. You can't buy God's favor. And so what does Naaman do? Something completely unexpected. In verse 17, he says, Please let me, your servant. Wow. Do you see a change of attitude here? This was the, the mighty army commander. This is a man of renown. This is a man of courage and boldness. He was a national hero, a prideful man. He bristled at the thought of being dunked in that Jordan River seven times. And now here he is, a man who has been changed physically, but a man who's been changed spiritually. And he says, Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of two mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Let me tell you the significance of this. It was thought of in that time that you could not make sacrifice 
to a god unless it was the god of the country that you were sacrificing to. In other words, he couldn't go back to Syria and make a sacrifice to the god of Israel. He couldn't do that on Syrian soil. So you know what he did? He loaded up his donkey and he took dirt from Israel back to Syria so that when he made sacrifice, he could literally make sacrifice on the earth or the soil from Israel to the God of Israel. That's how total and complete that transformation was in his life. This morning, as we talk about being solid as an oak, each of us has an opportunity. Each of us has an opportunity to surrender our lives, to say, here I am, Lord. Take me. Refinish me. Do your work in my life. Today, Lord, I submit to your Holy Spirit. Today, Lord, touch up more than the veneer of my life, but Lord, get to the core, to the heart of my life. And do what only You can do. Not in my time and not in my way, but in Your time and Your way. For the Lord's ways and the Lord's timing is perfect. And if you're already in that place, I encourage you to to stay there. If you have dipped yourself multiple times in the muddy waters of the Jordan River of life, continue. Be obedient to God. Be obedient to God. But maybe if you haven't, maybe if you've been resistant, maybe if your pride has kept you from really crying out and seeking what the Lord has for you, this morning is the morning to do that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and allow Him to lift you up. So this morning as the worship team comes forward as we continue in worship, our prayer team is in the back. Stephanie and Sarah are there. Uh, I'm going to go back there this morning. If you're in a place where you want the Lord just to complete that work of refinishing your life, if there's heart work that needs to be done, Today's the day just to affirm that, to be prayed for, to be encouraged as the Lord continues His good work. And remember this, He who has begun a good work in you, He will bring that to completion. He will through His Son, Christ Jesus. Let's continue to worship.